of humanity, the fall of humanity, and the coming of Christ to redeem everything. It's a powerful story. And you know, sometimes we think of the cross and we limit its influence and we limit its focus, but in the death and in the resurrection of Jesus, the power of God has touched the world and is making it new. I don't know whether you were impacted by that video, but I was. God has acted for us. In the cross, Jesus took our penalty. He suffered and died. The Son of God, that life might invade planet Earth. Isn't that beautiful? You know, sometimes I think of the resurrection and I think in cosmic terms like I've just described it to you. And then I think of the story. I think of, the, I think of those people who stumbled on to the fact that Jesus was no longer in the grave. And they somehow confronted the reality that he has risen. Um, just like they did, some of us do too. And everything changes. Um, I think of the two Marys who went to the tomb. I'm going to read you the story in a minute. And I ask the question, what did they understand? Did they get it? That the story of all creation and the need of humanity had just been addressed in the death and then the resurrection of Jesus? <clears throat> I think of Peter and John who ran to the tomb when they heard the story and, and they saw the tomb empty, the stone rolled away, the angel sitting there saying, he is risen, he is not here. Did they get it? What did they think? What did they understand? You know, my conviction, my friends, is... <clears throat> Although the, the text isn't th that clear in this, and I'll speak to it in a minute, but I probably don't think they got what we just saw. I think they, they were probably shocked. I think that they were amazed. I think they were probably in some degree of disbelief. But they had encountered the reality of the risen Christ. That's what I want us to do today. I want you and I, and I want myself, I want us to sit back and I want, us, I want us to think Jesus is alive. And what does that mean for me? What does it mean for you? Let me read the story. Uh, we're going to read from Matthew 28, verses 1 to 10. And then we're going to pop over to another verse and spend our time there. But first, let's focus no longer on fallen, but in what has been risen. Early on Sunday morning, as the new day was dawning, got to stop there, a new day was dawning, not just the given day of Jesus' resurrection, but a new day for humanity, a new day for creation was dawning. Early on Sunday morning, as the new day was dawning, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went out to visit the tomb. Suddenly, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven, rolled aside the stone, and sat on it. His face shone like lightning, and his clothing was as white as snow. The guards shook with fear when they saw him, for, and they fell into a dead faint. Then the angel spoke to the women, don't be afraid, he said, I know you're looking for Jesus who was crucified. He isn't here, he is risen from the dead, just as he said would happen. Come, see where his body was lying. And now go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead, and he is going ahead of you into Galilee. Galilee. 
to Galilee. You will see him there. Remember what I have told you. The women ran quickly from the tomb. They were very frightened, but also filled with great joy. And they rushed to give the disciples the angel's message. As they went, Jesus met them and greeted them. They ran to him, grasped his feet, and worshiped him. Then Jesus said to them, don't be afraid. Go tell my brothers to leave for Galilee, and they will see me there. What did they understand of the incredible thing that God had just done in raising his son from the dead? You know, you look at the story uh, just briefly, you see these two Marys, they're on their way to tell the disciples, and they encounter Jesus, and it says that he, they fell at his feet, and they grasped his feet, and they worshiped him. I don't think they understood that much, other than the fact that the one whom they loved was alive and no longer dead. And they wanted to hold him, and they wanted to recognize him for who he was, the living son of God. They ran and they told the disciples, and of course, you know the response of the disciples. They basically didn't believe what the women told them. Uh, it's quite understandable that that would be the response because dead people don't come back to life, right? It adds to the credibility of the story, as does much in the story, if you think about it from that perspective, that they didn't believe them, the women. Why would they? But Peter and John, they got up and they ran to the tomb. This is, these are other texts, other parts of the story, and, and <clears throat> well... They, too, encountered the angel, and the angel spoke to them, and they said, he is not here, he is risen. But I don't think they still got it. <laughs> I think they would have been mystified. They'd have been shocked. They'd have been saying, where is his body? Who did this? Why would they do this to my Lord? And there came a moment in the upper room when Jesus met his disciples. He appeared among him, them with the resurrected body that he now had, able to go through locked doors, for they were hidden away, terrified that the Romans would kill them like they had killed their Lord. And he was there, and he says, touch me. It is me. I'm alive. You know, my sense is they didn't get it, get it either, other than probably not only to be afraid, which they were, but to be ecstatic. <laughs> this one whom they had come to understand as the son of God and thought he was dead, this one who came with an incredible dream for them and for their part of the world and indeed for the whole world, he was now alive. And I think their experience would have been essentially the dream's not dead. Jesus indeed was the son of God. This proved it. So they would later write some of them. Jesus, uh, you know, in, in coming has said, I'm, I'm bringing the kingdom of God and the kingdom of God was with them. It wasn't just the confusion of a rabbi who misunderstood it was real and if nothing else all of a sudden hope would have started to seep into their lives because jesus was alive i want us today to think what does it mean for us that christ lives can i ask you that question i think a lot of us believe jesus is alive and we think that's a good thing and um, and we celebrate it, and, and we're people of faith. Some of you may be questioning that and investigating that and pursuing that possibility. That is a fantastic thing to do, and I encourage you in it. And I'm glad you're here maybe as part of that pursuit. But, you know, the reality is I, thought, I, I, I think, I think that, that sometimes while we know Jesus is alive, the impact has not taken hold of our lives in the way that it might. Has it in yours? Has it in yours? I want, to go to a, I want to go to a verse in 1 Peter written by that Peter who 
in his disbelief, ran to the tomb to see if what the woman had said was actually true, not, not really believing that it was. It's the same Peter who ran to the tomb and probably was thinking, oh, they've just, they've just taken uh, the body. Somebody has stolen it. That's what one of the Marys thought. It's communicated to us in a different text. This is the Peter <clears throat> who had denied Jesus. This is the Peter who struggled to believe. This is the Peter who came to encounter the Lord Jesus. This, by the way, is the Peter, along with the other disciples, who sat at the feet of Jesus after his resurrection, before he ascended to heaven, and heard Jesus preach and teach 40 days. Wouldn't it be amazing to have been there? Who wouldn't wouldn't have minded sitting with the Son of God as he opened the Old Testament scriptures at the time to help people understand his role in what had just taken place and the impact for their lives of what it meant that he was alive? Well, this, this same Peter wrote a, some of the New Testament for us, and we're going to read 1 Peter chapter 3, and I want us to dwell on this just for a little while this morning. And I want, I hope, you will be impacted by the truth of the text, and you will be challenged to think, what does it mean for me that Jesus has risen? 1 Peter 1 verse 3. Same Peter growing in faith, growing in understanding. All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is by his great mercy that we have been born again because God raised Jesus Christ from the dead. Now we live with great expectation. That's a thoughtful comment. After many years of coming to understand more profoundly what it means that Jesus rose. Foundational In this is the idea that because of the incredible mercy of God the Father, we have been born again. This is the same term Jesus used in John chapter 3 when a man named Nicodemus came to him. It was nighttime. Nicodemus was part of the ruling council of the Jewish people. And he came to him, if if you would, in secret. And he said, how do we find eternal life? Anybody ask that question of themselves ever? And he wants to know. He's seeking truth. And Jesus comment to him it needs to resound in our minds jesus said you must be born again you want to know eternal life you have got to be born again and jesus went on to describe this dynamic that peter is referring to a little bit here and he said you know it's like the wind that blows we don't know where it comes from we don't know where the wind is going so it is with the spirit of god the spirit of god just sometimes blows into people's lives just shows up happened to you And all of a sudden, God does something in our minds and in our hearts. He takes away the the blinders, if you would. He gives us enlightenment and a spiritual capacity to see what we could not have seen without him being at work in us. And all of a sudden, we see, yes, this is the Son of God. And Jesus died on the cross, not just for the sin of the world, but for my sin. (laughs) And we come to believe that there he took my shame and my guilt, and, and, and he suffered for me so that I no longer need to face and fear the possibility of hell, I've been freed from it. What he did there makes a difference in my life. And Jesus rose again from the dead. We come to believe by the prompting of the Spirit of God in us. And God works this in us, this faith in us, so that we, go, we recognize that Jesus is alive and that I can enter into relationship with Christ simply by believing in him, by faith. And such people who have been born again, you know, open their lives to the Lord Jesus and they confess their sin to God the Father in Christ's name and they say, Lord Jesus, today I receive you into my life. And we initiate a relationship with Christ. 
And all of a sudden, the resurrection is becoming significant because the living Lord Jesus, the one who did not remain in the tomb, the living Lord Jesus is now one with whom I am in relationship. And what Jesus used to describe that and what Peter used to describe that deeply spiritual experience of God, that entering into a life with Christ, it was the analogy of being or the idea of being born again. It's like, it's like entering into to a new life. It's like becoming a new person, a new life with Jesus, a knowledge of him, a relationship with him, a love for him. He becomes our savior, saves us from our sins and eternal consequences, but he also becomes our Lord, our leader, the one whom we worship just as the women did when they grasped at his feet. And we, we become a new person, the Bible says. We are changed because God dwells in us, and God is changing our thinking, and God is changing our hearts. You know, he takes that heart of stone that was there toward God, that cold and unresponsive heart, and he replaces it with a heart of flesh, the prophets in the Old Testament said. And all of a sudden, we know and we love this God, this one named Jesus, and we have relationship with him. Talk about impact because of the resurrection. Point number one is Jesus lives. <laughs> and because he lives, we can enter into relationship with him and our lives can be made new. It's like when we were born the first time, you know, or given life. This time it's not physical life, it's spiritual life. It's dynamic relationship with God. Been born again? Uh, I've said it before, I'll, I say it again today and I'll say it again in the future. The most important question you'll ever deal with in your life. And again, it doesn't have to do with whether you're in church. You know all the silly little uh, analogies. Just because you're in McDonald's doesn't make you a hamburger, right? I mean, I could go on. Because you're in church doesn't mean you've been born again. It doesn't mean that you've been led into this dynamic living relationship with Christ. It means that you're in church. But you know what God wants? <laughs> Not that you are in church. It's good to be in church. I'm happy you're here. I'm glad. <laughs> but what God wants is for his son who died for you and, and whose death will allow you to engage him personally. What he wants for you is to come into relationship with that living Lord. To be like those women who fell at his feet, thrilled that he was alive, alive, worshiping him, loving him, serving him, living for him. Being born again? You know, Paul says, sorry, Peter says, I preach Paul a lot, not so much Peter, but uh, he says, because of that great mercy, we have, you, you, we have been born again. <laughs> because God raised Jesus Christ from the dead. Because God raised Jesus Christ from the dead. And he goes on to say, can we have that also? Can we flip over really quickly to the NIV now? Because we have been born again, God, and be, we have been born again because... God raised him from the dead. We are born into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I want to talk to you for a while about living hope. I'm telling you how to get into a relationship with God. Then I want to talk to you now about what it means to be in that relationship. Because our lives can become lives characterized by something dynamic and alive. And that is called hope in Christ. Hope in Christ. And here's where I want to challenge you a little bit. Those of you... Even those of you who have entered into a relationship and you have what this translation calls the new birth. 
Sometimes I think we believe and we engage relationship with Jesus and we have our sins forgiven and, and we are his, but sometimes we don't live in living hope. You know, I have been talking for a few weeks on Sundays and I'm, I, uh, I was going to say I apologize, I don't really have it. Uh, I regret, I regret if you haven't been here and heard these fantastic sermons over the last few weeks. You know why you're laughing? I'd like to know. But I've been talking about the dynamic of what it means to be fallen. I've been talking with you, and I imagine most of you have been here at some point over the last few weeks, about the whole Adam and Eve story where these people were cast out of heaven because they sinned. It's a powerful picture of life for every human being. This is our existence until we come into relationship with Christ. Because of sin in our lives, and I don't know about you, but if you feel that's not you, I'm impressed. And I need to talk to you because you're probably the only person who's ever lived to have. We all sin, right? It's just simply doing that which is contrary to the heart and the desire and the will of God as expressed in Scripture. <clears throat> they ate of the tree that God said, don't eat of. And God said, well, you've entered into a new dynamic reality. And he cast them from the Garden of Eden. And all of a sudden, they're living separate from God, as opposed to what I just told you, right? Um... And, 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 you know, we live that dynamic reality, and, and as part of this fallenness that I've described, that was the name of the series, we've talked about a few dynamics that I think sometimes we live in, even though we are people who are in Christ, some of us. Don't assume everybody here is. That's what the whole born-again please about. Find it. Experience it. But, you know, one of those dynamic realities is that we think of ourselves as unworthy. Last week. We look at ourselves, we look at our sin, we, we turn our gaze toward ourselves, and Adam and Eve, for the very first time, looked at themselves, and they did not like what they saw. <laughs> Who among us haven't been there, right? And Adam and Eve looked at themselves, and they said, what's the matter with me now? Because something had changed in them, and they were unable to celebrate what they had become because they had fallen into sin, and they were changed. And they felt themselves unworthy, unworthy of God, unworthy of really one another, so they started to cover themselves with fig leaves and so forth. You know the story. Well, you might go read it if you don't. Genesis 3. Because of that unworthiness, essentially they were cast out of heaven, and all of a sudden they started to live this life of, I, I called it isolation. And deep down, I've suggested that's the condition of the human being. We live alone not willing to be vulnerable, not really willing to share ourselves with other people, not willing to be vulnerable with people because we're afraid of what they and what God might think of us if we got really real with them. Kind of hits home, doesn't it? And we live that life of isolation, and, and, and because we're isolated particularly in those difficult and painful times in life that just seem to come, don't they? The older I get, the more I realize they're just part of life. They come and they go, and then they come again. The fallen condition of humanity. Um, we get really fearful, and there's an underlying fear that dwells in us so often. Fear is a natural thing to the human being because of what we've become. And we think we're alone, and we think the challenges are there, and sometimes the challenges seem bigger than we can actually handle and we can live with, and we think, we, we think they will, <clears throat> that they threaten to overwhelm us. And we live on feeling unworthy, having that sense of unworthiness, and we, 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 we live with this dynamic of, of isolation, and we live with fear. And I want to tell you, I don't think that's living a life of living hope, because in each of those dynamics, we live without hope. 
Because, here's my point, my friends, I think too often, even believing people, although we know Christ is risen and we believe it in our heads, we don't live it. It's not part of our active, dynamic experience of him in life. And what, what happens is that the Lord Jesus has come, and that's why I like the video that we started with. This is big picture stuff, and he has come into this world to do a lot for this world of ours, but he's, he's come into this world to do a lot for you, and he comes along and as we have discussed, he says, you are not unworthy in my eyes. I love you, and I honor you, and you're precious to me. Remember Isaiah 43? You are precious to me. And God the Father sends God the Son who came willingly to die in your place and in my place. That's how much he loves you, to suffer your hell so that you would be freed of it. That's an amazing, amazing thing. To never have to contemplate the judgment of God in your life because it's already been placed on Christ on the cross? And all of a sudden, when we find ourselves living in a living hope, we start to see ourselves through the eyes of God and we realize, I might be unworthy in one sense because of what I've done, but because of the truth that God counts me worthy, I am worthy. We begin to stand up a little taller. We begin to celebrate the love of God for me and his, the value he has placed in me. And you know, in, in, in that dynamic reality, when we move into this really grasping the significance of the, of the resurrection of Jesus, the fact that Christ not only has come, but that he's alive, we start to realize, you know, as I have opened my life to Christ, you know what? He is with me now. I am not alone. And I want to tell you, my friends, will you grapple with this? I keep, you know, it's not like this is the first time I'm saying it to you. And it's not like I'm stupid and can't think of anything else to say. I want you to grapple with this until it transforms you. No matter what circumstance you're in, God is with you by the person of Jesus Christ. You are not alone. And you know when those times of fear and heartache and difficulty and loss and tragedy and brokenness invade our lives, as they do, we don't need to be afraid. Because in those places, we have a living Savior who, as he said himself, is closer than a brother. He is with us. He is present to us. He is alive in us. And no matter how powerful and great and significant and overwhelming the problem may seem, Jesus can deal with it. And he can see us through every time. And he has promised that no matter what the circumstance, no matter how bad things are, he's going to bring good from it. And not only for us, but for this world which surrounds us. Now, I hope you're beginning to go, oh, this is good news. <laughs> this is incredible news. If we'll really embrace it. Step one, we come to this place of discovering what it means to be born again. You must be born again. Jesus said it. And if you haven't found it, let's find it. Let's, let's encounter God in a life-changing and dramatic and beautiful way. Let's embrace him by faith. But once we have entered into that new life by a new birth, <laughs> so that we become new people, an incredible dynamic reality is that we move into a living hope because Christ is alive. Christ is alive. You know, a while ago, um, I was reading, I've been reading through the Psalms for like years. <laughs> I keep taking diversions, but I was reading Psalm 95, and I read verses 1 to 3. And I want to read those for you, those, those verses. I, I dwelt on these verses 
probably two weeks. You might think I'm weird. But I just, I'd say, God, teach me more. Show me your truth. Let me go deeper. And I read, I read these verses, the psalmist saying, come, and it was a hard time in my life. One of those were there. Come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Done that today? Not just sing, but sing for joy to the Lord. Wow. Let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. There is a dynamic energy and passion in this man's life for God. Let us come before him with thanksgiving and extol him with music and song. For the Lord is the great God, the great king above all gods. And there was a moment where I think God really revealed something to me. And and the way I captured it in my mind was this. And I would present it to you that I thought of David who wrote it. But I didn't think David. I said, that man thinks life is really, really good. Can you see it? Come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. This is an incredible relationship that I, have, that I have with him. Let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before him with thanksgiving, deep gratitude in our hearts for what God has done and extol him with music and song. Why? For the Lord is a great God. My God is an incredible God, he's saying. The great king above all gods. So the first thought is, man, that, that man thinks life is really, really good. Second thought? I'm not so sure that I've lived my life that way. Anybody get what I'm talking about? Much more negativity in life than what David is expressing here. Cynicism at times, a bit of a critical spirit at times. You know, human nature, not yet transformed by the living and present Jesus. And, you know, I thought about myself and I thought about what God was speaking and about how we can be as we enter into this living hope. This is incredibly hopeful. This is a man who has encountered God and thinks life is incredible in the presence of God. Christ had not yet come, but he's talking about God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. This man knew what it meant to shout joyfully and praise and celebrate with joy the reality of God in his life. And we're called to because we have a living hope and his name is Jesus. You know, I think sometimes, and tell me if this, this makes sense in your life, I think sometimes it is in the hardest of times that we come to know where we really stand in these things, whether we're people who live with living hope or not. Or not. Whether we live without hope. Whether we feel we're unworthy, whether we feel too often that we're alone and left to struggle with our own problems, whether we live with fear because we don't know the powerful God is able and he is with us. See, what happens in your heart and your mind when things turn really negative in your life? And I know they do. They turn negative in my life, and I help a lot of people when, and our whole church does, when things turn negative in life. Here's what can easily happen. How can God let this happen in my life? Does he really love me? Mm, right? Am I hitting close to home at all? You know, the tragedy happens. Uh, where is God? God, will you do something, please? Seems like he's not there. And then in the end of the day, we ask the question, God punishing me? 
It's not an uncommon dynamic to think in these terms. I've done wrong. I'm unworthy of his love. I'm unworthy of blessing. God is punishing me. Um, and we don't live with a living hope. We don't live in the knowledge that Christ is present, that Christ is powerful, and that Christ can do whatever Christ wishes to do. David is about to go into battle. He's a king. He's a warrior. He's a poet. He's a musician. He's quite a guy. He's going into battle, um, uh, and, and actually Psalm, if we can flip over to Psalm 108 now, this one I've been reflecting on more recently. He could have gone into battle fearful, feeling he's alone and God's not there to help me. He actually says later in the Psalm, you're no longer going into battle with us. Have you rejected us, O God? Read it later if you like. And he could have been feeling unworthy. Oh, why would God bless me? Why would he care about me? And so on and so forth. But listen to these words of this incredible man of faith. It says, my heart is confident in you, O God. No wonder I can sing your praises with all my heart. All of his heart, not just a little bit of it. There's a passion in him to sing praise and gratitude and thankfulness into the ears of God, into the heart of God. It says, wake up, lyre and, uh, and harp instruments. I will wake the dawn with my song. <laughs> this isn't like me, by the way. I'm not a morning person. This man gets up and he's playing the instruments that he loves. And he's waking up the dawn with the praise of God flowing from his heart. I will thank you, Lord, among all the people. I will sing your praise among the nations. I want to tell you, man, my friends, this is a man who is living in the dynamic reality of a living hope because he knows God is with him. God is with him. And he's confident, and he's passionate, and he's praising God for the goodness of God that he knows in his life. And he ends the psalm with these verses, verses 12 and 13. Oh, please help us against our enemies, for all human help is useless. He gets the idea. <laughs> with God's help, we will do mighty things, for he will trample down our foes. I want to speak to any person here who's really in that difficult, dark, hopelessly, hopeless-seeming place. That if you turn to Christ... If you not only engage him in relationship, but recognize that he is with you, you too can see God do mighty things in your life. We are never in a place without hope because Christ lives. Christ has been raised to new life. Christ loves us and Christ is powerful to us. Can I ask, do you believe that? You see, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> You see the difference between believing in the resurrection and believing that the living Christ is mine and that he loves me and that he is with me and that he will help me so much so that I can live, exist in a living hope. It's not just hope, it's alive because he's alive. I want to tell you, my friends, today people need hope, I think, like never before. And I, I think if you're like me, you need hope. And you can have it because of Christ. Alive and powerful to us. And I want to tell you, it just doesn't exist in this life. I want to tell you, and I want, to, I want you to think about this. It exists powerfully as we encounter death. Whether it's the death of a loved one, death of a friend... As we come to that place where we all encounter death ourselves, 
Let me say this to you. And it's not new, <laughs> but I'm not that stupid. <laughs> I want you to know this. Every person in this room will die. Unless Christ returns, and what passage I'm about to read speaks of a return, it will happen someday. We don't know when. But other than the actual return of Jesus Christ in glory, as the Bible says, every single one of us will die. And most of us will face that oncoming reality. But I want to tell you there is a living hope for us in the risen Jesus. A week ago Saturday, I was at a funeral in Fergus. I was asked to participate in the service uh, of, of a man named David Ketchen. David Ketchen was, or yeah, was a, a past minister of IPC in the 1970s. He had a profound effect through his ministry in the lives of people. One person said to me, that man changed my life. Um, somebody said, that is the man who opened up the word of God to me for the very first time. What was being said is that that minister came to the church that many years ago. That's like, whoa, 45 years ago. He came to this place and he preached the word of God so that people began to grasp the reality that the risen Jesus loves them and he can become part of their lives and they can open up their lives to Christ and form a relationship with him and they can study this book and deepen in their understanding of what it means to follow Jesus and they can live, to use the terms of today's Sermon and the terms that Peter wrote with a living hope, alive in Christ, always hopeful regardless what's going on. Well, I went and I was asked to participate and, and David's wife requested several passages to be read. And one of them that she asked to be read was this, and I read it, 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 to 18. Let me read it to you. Brothers, and those of you who are not brothers, sisters... We do not want you to be ignorant about those who have fallen asleep. Note that uh, Paul, who wrote, the Apostle Paul, who wrote Thessalonians, he doesn't even want him to talk about dead. Because those who are in Christ never die. Right? Spiritually. Our life carries on in a different place. And he uses this term, those who have fallen asleep. So, brothers, we do not want you to be ignorant or unaware or uninformed about those who have fallen asleep or to grieve like the rest of men who have no... Say it with me. Hope. Hope that permeates our lives. We believe that Jesus died and he rose again. You getting the message, IPC? You getting the message? He rose again. And so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. Christ will return one day. And those who have gone before us will return in, in his glorious return of Jesus. According to the Lord's own word, we tell you that we who are still alive at that time, who are left till the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage, uh, each, encourage each other with these words. My friends, that might be familiar to you, but it might never have breathed hope into your soul. Can I ask you to let it do so today? We will face death. But we who have been born again into a living hope can face death, not as those who grieve in our world and who are without 
hope, but with the, as those who have hope. Why? Because Jesus is alive. Period. Jesus has gone through death and he has defeated it. He has overcome it. He has reigned and ruled over the power of death and he has broken that power so that when our turn comes and we are caught up in him, we will too. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 20 to 22. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. He's just the first of many. And I hope you're going to be one of them. For since death came through a man, reference to Adam, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man, reference to Jesus. For as in Adam all die, all are fallen, all are broken, all are cast away from God. We've dealt with that. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. And all of a sudden, we contemplate the reality of death, and we are filled with a living hope. And we don't face death as those who are grieving without it, because we know what is coming. And we know what is coming because Jesus has been raised to new life. I want to tell you, my friends, this, this thing that we celebrate today, don't let it just sit as a matter of fact in your mind. Allow it to transform your life. Christ is alive. You can be in relationship with him, know him, love him, experience the power of God through him. And when your time comes, you can face death with hope and with faith in the confidence that God is taking you to be with himself. This is the resurrected hope that we have in Jesus. You know, in essence, what's being said here today is this. Each and every one of us is called to live dramatically different lives because Jesus has been raised from the dead, because Jesus is alive. If we will allow that truth to settle in and transform our lives, we will encounter God every moment of every day until we stand in his presence and worship him through eternity. There will be no more sense of unworthiness. It'll go away because we will realize through the eyes of God, we are incredibly worthy. We are worth dying for. And we won't feel alone anymore because the living Christ will be with us and we'll know it. And we won't have the fear which once was so powerfully at work in us. It'll start to dissipate and fade as we grow and mature because we know we have the King of Kings on our side. We will come to that place where we will understand this living hope in a new way because we will understand that the living Christ is with me. My friends, can I ask you today, honestly, face, if you would, face the question honestly and, and in great sincerity. Have you encountered the risen Lord so much so that he's become yours and so that you have become his. Is he alive in your life? Is he real? Have you been born again or is that just the biblical gobbledygook? Oh yeah, I've heard that for ages. Have you encountered Christ? And have you walked into that relationship, received him into your life, confessed your sin, opened your life to him and said, Lord, I want to know you. 
I want to know you. I want to live with you. I want to live for you. And for those of us who have, is the resurrection of Jesus just historic fact or is it his transformative power of God at work in us, changing us, allowing us to live with and for the Lord in the way he created us to live? I'm going to pray. And as I do on occasion, I'm going to give people who may sense here today God and may say, you know what, I, I want to take that step into relationship with Jesus. I want to invite Christ into my life for real, seriously. I want to know him. And if that's you, I'll pray a prayer. You can pray it after me. We'll acknowledge what Christ has done on the cross. I'll give you opportunity to confess your sin because that's just a big part of coming back into a relationship with God. I mean, they were kicked out of Eden because of sin. We confess our sin, we get back in, if you would, right? Um, and, then, and, and then I'll just give you opportunity to say, Lord, I commit myself to you. I'm, I'm in. I'm yours. I'll live for you from here on. And then I'm going to pray for all of us that we might live our lives, not as people who have no hope, but people who have a living hope dwelling within us. Because Christ is there. Let me pray. Pray with me. Lord God, what a phenomenal thing we celebrate today. The reality that you, Father, did not leave Christ dead in the grave, but you came by the power of your spirit and you breathed life into his body and you raised him from the grave. And we praise you, our Father, that Christ is alive today. Alive so that we can form a relationship with him so that he can come by his spirit and take hold of our lives and uh, draw us into relationship with him so we can have our sin forgiven so that we can just be his and be his forever. God, there may be people here today who have never opened their hearts and their lives, their minds to the person of Christ. And there may be people here today who are just quietly crying out and saying, I want that. I want to be in relationship with you. And Father, for those people, I, I'll pray this prayer and I'll, I invite them now to pray in the quietness of their own minds and hearts after me. But to do it with all sincerity as an expression of your new faith. I invite you to pray this. Dear Lord Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross for me. Thank you for taking upon yourself my guilt and my shame. And I believe today that because of what you did that I can now be forgiven in your name. And I pray that you'll forgive me for all of my sin. Everything I've ever done wrong, Lord Jesus, forgive me. And I pray that you'll come into my life now and that I might have relationship with you as the living Lord. And from this point on, Lord Jesus, I will follow you I will live for you. I will live in relationship with you as together we deal with the challenges that life brings. Help me to grow in you. Help me to deepen in my knowledge of you and my understanding of what it means to follow after you. But today I make my decision. Today I am yours. God, for those who have prayed that prayer, we just pray that they will grow and deepen in their knowledge of God's love, your love for them, and what it means to follow Jesus. Lord, for the rest of us, lead us into, our God, a deeper knowledge of living hope. Show us what it means when we face the challenges, 
Help us to understand our worthiness in your eyes and the fact that you are with us and the fact that we don't need to be afraid anymore because you are ours and we are yours. God, meet us now as we share communion together. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.